Good morning, everyone. It seems strange as um, I started preparing for this sermon. It was actually, um, I started having more and more problems trying to pre- prepare this message, and a lot of things got in the way. Even right now, my voice seems to be going. I'm not sure why. But anyway, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Anyway, we'll just open with the word of prayer, and then we'll go with the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Lord, you are indeed very, very good to us, Lord. And, you know, we, if we look at what you do for us, those who believe in you, it's just amazing how your hand has been on each and every one of us, how you brought us to the knowledge of salvation, and also, Lord, how you, you brought us here, that we could come freely and without let and hindrance to learn more about you, to grow spiritually, and to become good and faithful servants and disciples. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work through us, Lord. We pray today's message would just teach us, Lord, more about marriage, more about uh, love, and more about being a true Christian, Lord. We ask you this uh, to bless this message today. You'd guide me, that your Holy Spirit works through me, Lord, and that everyone here's souls and hearts would be prepared for the message, and that uh, your, your Spirit will fill their needs, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, today uh, I'm going to preach about um, uh, marriage. (laughs) Pastor Frank told me to look at something for uh, Marco and Marlon, and they're not here today, so well, okay. (laughs) But anyway, um, what I'm going to talk about, really um, preach about today, is about um, marriage and the roles of, of the husband and the wife in marriage. Yesterday was a real blessing for my, my wife and myself yes, um, to be part of Marco and Mullen's uh, wedding yesterday. It's pretty, I'm pretty sure when you asked Marco and Mullen, uh, when they first arrived in Australia, and you would ask them, you know, would, what were the chances of you being married when you go back to, to Sweden? And I'm pretty sure they would not have believed that they would have gotten married here in Australia. I'm pretty sure they were thought, nah, we'll get back to Sweden, and then we'll get married there. But yesterday we had a beautiful bride, we had a beautiful, uh, handsome groom, <laughs> who met here and took vows to become husband and wife. And that was a, a really real blessing for us. And, um, and I'm sure Marco and Mollen didn't expect, as young Christians, they just knew newly uh, new believers, that the love of Christians would have for them, that they would prepare everything for them, that they didn't have to do pretty much a lot of things. And all the Christians came around in true Christian love to, to arrange everything, and everything went smoothly. Now, this, this, this really touches my heart in particular because the same thing happened to me and to Vasha. When we first came to Australia, we were actually in Perth. And we arrived in Perth, and uh, we just had whatever savings we had from South Africa. And uh, we were unemployed. And uh, the amazing thing is that we, we started attending a, a Baptist church in Perth. And we had an, an old Irish pastor there. <laughs> a very good old friend of um, Ian Paisley, if you know who he is. <laughs> um, he has since passed on. His name was Reuben Costley. And uh, it was a real blessing because he really got to know us very well. And we asked him if he would marry us. And um, he, he took it upon himself and he asked the congregation to set up the whole wedding for us. So we didn't have to pay for food. We didn't have to pay for the venue. They did that all for us. I mean, we had a, a few things that we bought. And uh, I'm not wearing the suit I, 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 I wore there. I do fit into it. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, um, it was amazing. It was similar to what we happened yesterday. And, and it's amazing how God uses Christians to help fellow Christians with love. And it was not an obligation for them to do it. But out of love, they did that. And the same thing happened here with um, Marco and Mollen. And, and so, um, I wanted to talk today a little bit more about marriage um, and, and some guidelines. I want to give gu- guidelines to both husbands and wives. Um, and hopefully Mar- Marco and Marlon would listen to this sermon uh, a little bit later. And, um, you know, the material will be beneficial to them and help them to uh, have a long, lifelong marriage. 
the first thing I want to deal with um, about marriage is um, what is marriage? Currently, there's a huge drive to promote and um, uh, homosexual marriage. Um, we, we, we see there was a plebiscite, and now, now the people who think would want to have a plebiscite are trying to say no because um, the chances are for them, the, the people would not want it. But there's a huge drive, and, and, and the um, homosexual um, movement is very, very strong to have homosexual marriages approved. Now, Marco and Mollon are going back to Sweden, and in Sweden they legalized homosexual marriage in 2009. All right? So, uh, and, and if we have to look forward, and if we look um, back in Scripture and, and see where, where mankind does go, we can see that it's just a matter of time before it becomes legalized everywhere. But the important thing is um, we've got to understand what is marriage and where does it come from. So first scripture today is Genesis chapter 2. So if we just turn to Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 18. <clears throat> Verse 18, and the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was his, the name of it thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowls of the air, and to, to every beast of the field. But, Adam, but for Adam there was not found a, a, a help meet for him. And the Lord, Lord caused a deep sleep <coughs> uh, to fall on, upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh there, uh, inst uh, instead uh, thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. <clears throat> Here in verse 18 we see that uh, God said it was not good. Pastor Frank has mentioned this uh, a few times the last couple of weeks, <laughs> that for, for man to be alone. So God created all the creatures, male and female, and brought them to Adam to name. A very interesting thing that you should realize this, about this point here is that Adam was very, very clever. Now I ask you, imagine if someone brought a thousand items for you to name here right now. Would you be able to do it? I'm pretty sure once we reach maybe 100, maybe 200, we'd start struggling. You know, the names would be very similar or maybe one letter character change. But we can see that Adam named all the animals. He was a very, very, very clever man. Um, in verse 20, we see um, where in 20, Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowls of the air and every beast. But Adam... For Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. So we can see here that Adam did not find any of the animals or creatures that God created which was suitable or compatible with him. In verse 22, we see God creates woman out of Adam's rib. Now, now look at verse um, 23. It says here, Adam declares, it says here, and Adam said, Now this is, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Adam declares, here, now there was someone that was suitable for him, who was compatible, and made of the same essence as he was. Now, verse 24, I've spoken to Pastor Frank about this uh, yesterday. It says here, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and there shall be one flesh. Now, if you look at some commentaries, like Matthew Henry commentary, um, it says it's uncertain on who is actually speaking here, whether it's Adam 
or whether it's Moses adding a commentary to this, or whether it's God. But the person actually here who's speaking is not Adam, it's not Moses, it's actually God. Now the question you've got to ask yourself, why do I say that? Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We We have here the Lord Jesus Christ himself talking and telling us who says this. So we'll read from verse 3 to verse 6. And Matthew chapter 19 verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and there shall be one flesh. Amazing. God's word answers the questions that you have. God said it. Now, the question is, why is this important? Why am I spending some time on this? Um, Look at Matthew uh, uh, verse 4 and to verse 6. Okay, well, we... And he answered and said unto him, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, a husband, a male person, will leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, female, and the two of them becomes one. God's joined the two to be one. So what marriage actually is, it's a covenant, a covenant or a vow that a man and a woman make to each other to be husband and wife in the presence of God. And God authorizes it and makes it legal. What Pastor Frank did yesterday with Marco and Mullen was just to ratify what God already taken place. Okay? So irrespective of what a government says, or irrespective of what, what government wants to de- redefine marriage as, what they want to legalize, unless it's authorized by God, it is not a marriage. Amen. He made the definition. He tells you what it is out of Scripture. So homosexual marriage in God's eyes is not a marriage. You may call it a marriage. The government may call it a marriage. But the person who authorizes it, God, does not call it a marriage. So it is not a marriage. So what I want to do, now that we know what a marriage is, it's between a man and a woman. Today what I want to do with is, deal with is to sort of Go through the roles of the husband and the wife in, in a marriage. Now, first thing I'll deal with is the, the role of the wife. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit, uh, I suppose, easier to deal with than with the role of a man. <laughs> but, so the first thing I want to do is, is deal with the role of the wife. So let's look at, um, let's go to Proverbs. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 14. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 14. And this is um, really, really important for women to realize how, how they, they handle themselves in marriage. So the first one, we're just going to look at verse, four, uh, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Now, wives, this is really important principle here. You only have two options. There's no other options in this in the scripture. Either you build your household, or you tear down your household. The Bible says that a wise wise woman builds her household. She builds it up. She maintains it. She dedicates her time to it, to her household, to her family. The Bible says a foolish woman tears down her household. She, she pursues what's best for herself 
at the expense of her marriage. Because sin is deceptive, the tearing down can be very subtle. It can be very gradual. And you may not be totally aware of it. Now, we're not obviously talking about cleaning the house and making sure the house is all neat and tidy. What we're actually talking is about the relationship between, in that household, between the husband and the wife, and the husband and the, uh, and, and the wife and the children, the family unit. Now, a good way for you to reflect on this is every night before you go to bed, when you spend some time with the Lord, is to ask yourself the following question. By God's grace, did I build my house today or did I tear it down? Contemplate this in your heart with the Lord every night. Now, if you did tear down your house today, then you obviously were foolish for the day. But the amazing thing is, you can ask the Lord for forgiveness and ask Him for His grace so that He can help you and say, Lord, help me tomorrow to build up the house. And if you were wise and you built up your house, you can say, thank you, Lord, for helping me to build up the house today. So now I've got some points here on how three main points on how a woman can help to build up her house. So the first one is, point number one, love your husband. Let's go to Titus, Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> First one is to learn to, is to love your husband. Titus chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 3 to verse 5. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. The aged woman, likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming cometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The aged women were to teach young women to love their husbands. And if you look at it, it's to teach them to love their husbands first and then the children, not the other way around. Isn't it strange how the world, you know, if you look at around, parents are always love their children more than they love their spouse. But this is not the correct order in which one should love. The, 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 the first love of your life should be God, the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The second on that rung would be your wife. The third would be your children. And then goes on. Why is this so important? <clears throat> If you look at not having a correct relationship with God, if you don't love God first of all, and you put your wife before God, when trouble arises, who do you turn to? To your wife. She's in the same trouble as you. You can't. You have to turn to God. So it's really important to put God first. The second one is your spouse. Your children are eventually going to leave home. Then who are you going to have? Nobody. If you did not deliver, de develop that relationship with your wife while your children are growing up, <coughs> where, where, where are you going to be when your children are gone? Are you not going to have that emptiness and oh, what do I do now with my time? What do I do now with myself? So the second thing is to love your wife first. Then your children. Because your children will grow up. You know, we read there scripture that, you know, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Your son's going to leave you, or your daughter's going to leave you, and form a new family, and you will not have anyone. 
So therefore, God first, spouse second. Very, very important to learn this order. So I've got um, some suggestions. Uh, it says also here, so that we see that another thing here is that love, if we look at the scripture, is learnt. It's not automatic. It says clearly in verse 4 that you teach young women to love their husband. You know, if we look at TV and all that, we always seem to say, oh, you know, look at them, they fall in love and they just head over heels over each other. Well, guess what? That's not love. All right? All right? That's not the way love works. Love has to be learned. So what I want to give you is some five, five guidelines on some points. And I've got these points out of a book called um, Love That Last by Gary and Betsy Ikuchi. <laughs> um, the first one is pray for him. Pray for your husband, wife, and pray with him. Your husband needs your prayers daily. You know, his role is really, really tough. You don't realize how tough a role the husband has. If you have a problem with your husband, God can change your husband. God can change his heart. And I know this is true because um, it's happened to me with Vasha. Um, I, I was a little bit more aloof before, but um, through Vasha's prayers and um, God has softened and tended my heart. And um, I was only through her prayers, and the Lord eventually brought us together. So I can attest to the power of this prayer of a, of a spouse. We were not married at the time, but now we are. <laughs> so that's one very, very important thing. Pray, pray for your spouse. You do not know how much power is in the power of prayer. The second, second point is learn to understand him. Now, your husband may do things a lot different to the way you were brought up to do things. You know, your husband may be, have a very close-knit family, and they like to always get together and all that. Whereas you may have been uh, brought up in a, in a loosely lit, and weren't that close with your, your siblings. Or it might be the other way around. could be the other way around. But you need to learn to understand your husband, what he says. Now, you might say something one way, and may mean something different. And your husband might think, oh, no, that means something else to me. But So you really got to understand your husband. You really have to. Because it's really important that it'll help you with your communication. And if, you, if you're still having a lot of problems in that regard, you need to ask God for the grace for you to help this through, so that you can learn to understand your husband. The third way is communicate in ways to serve him. Let's look at some scripture again. Let's go back to Ephesians. Just turn back a few chapters. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. <coughs> says here, Ephesians, Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good uh, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And if you just go forward just a couple of chapters as well to Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. And what Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Watch what you say and how you say something to your husband. This also goes for your children as well. Just be careful on how you speak and what you say to your husband. Before you open your mouth, you know, in a situation that may be testing and trying to you, before you open your mouth to say something, 
think and ask yourself this question. What am I what I am going to say? Will it be rotten? Worthless? Bad? Or corrupt? Just think about that. Before you say something. Or will it be uplifting? Building up? Encouraging? Gracious? And provide divine influence to the hearer? You know, when you start when you become a Christian for a while and you get tempted to do a sin, uh, I find that there's that slight moment in time where I have the choice on whether to partake of the sin or to reject it. There's that small, small moment of time, and I'm pretty sure it's with everyone who's a Christian. You have that moment in time where it's not instantaneous reaction, you have that moment. And this is the moment you need to think about. If it's not going to be rotten, uh, if it's going to be rotten, corrupt, worthless, then stop yourself. And ask God to help you let the words be seasoned with salt and be an encouragement to your husband and to show him your love. The fourth way you can show your love to your husband is to display physical affection to him. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 2 to 5. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 5. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also, the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give uh, yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. In Genesis, chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said that it was not good for man to be alone. He created all the animals around Adam who could give him all the exercise and fun and companionship to him, but he could not provide him with physical affection. That only was satisfied when God created Eve. Now, physical infection doesn't mean just lovemaking, but it also mean, means including hugs. You might want to hug your wife, or your wife might want to hug you. Holding hands, you know, watching a movie or something like that, holding hands. Snuggling together, you know. You can do things that are appropriate to the situation you're in. But physical affection, physical touching, it's really, really important. You know, Women might think men are macho and they don't want that. But it's true. We all do wish to be felt and hugged and touched. We are tactile people, tactile beings. And the fifth, fifth way you can show your love to your husband is to shared, enjoy shared activities with him. Let's look at Philippians <coughs> chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 3 to 4. It says here, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You need to learn to um, enjoy which husband enjoys? You know, it may not be a, a fun thing to do. Maybe your husband likes golf, and you don't like golf at all. <laughs> or 
My wife was very good at this. She started asking me about golf. <laughs> Which is really a good thing. Uh, uh, but you might not know anything about golf. Or you might not like golf. You may decide to watch TV with him when a golf tournament is playing, a major golf tournament. And you may ask them questions about, you know, what, what, you know little, tell me a little bit more about golf, you know, and, and something like that. You know, and um, he could then start explaining things and you, you might start appreciating golf. Oh, so that's what they're doing. Oh, that's what it means. You know, it shows interest. I know it may, it seems like a small thing, but um, maybe your, 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 your husband might enjoy camping and you don't like camping at all. Um, so what you could do is you say, <laughs> let's go camping, but maybe instead of just being roughing it up really rough and tense and that, you might rent a camper van or a caravan. And you could, go, you could go there and you'd have, like, your home. Something like that. But, you know, you, you'd still be out in the bush, but you'd have your amenities around you. But uh, you need to understand what your husband enjoys. And you can try and learn how to enjoy what he does as well. So that's, that, that's some suggestions on how to express and show your love and to develop your love for your husband. The second way to build your house is... To submit to your husband. Oh well, let's go into uh, Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians chapter five, and this is. Um, and many people think this is a very contentious issue, um, and uh, there's much written about it, and a lot of people in the world would think about this. But we'll look at Ephesians chapter five, and verse twenty, uh, verse twenty-two to twenty-four. It says here in Ephesians five twenty-two, it says, "Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands." As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The scripture here is very clear. The wife is to submit to her husband in everything. Now that sounds like a hard saying. Uh, when you look at it from the world's point of view. You know, the world's view is that someone who submits to someone else is of lower value or lesser than the person being submitted to. The world will say that if the woman submits to the man, she is less than the man. But this is not true in God's eyes. Turn to Galatians, just turn back a couple of chapters, and we'll see what actually it truly is in God's eyes. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 26 to 28. Galatians 3, 26. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, Neither, uh, there, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. Equal. This verse clearly shows that before God in Christ Jesus, men and women are equal. So, so why is a wife submitting to her husband? Why is it important? Let's just turn back to Genesis, chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 18 and 19. Uh, uh, Genesis two eighteen and 19. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Let us make, uh, let, I will make him an, a, a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord... God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see that it, what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called living creatures, that was the name thereof. We see how God created all the animals, male and female, at the same time. But he created Adam alone. Adam was alone. We see in verse 21 to 23, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. 
and the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made woman, and brought her unto him. That's where he God created Eve. Now, could God create Adam and Eve at the same time? Yes, of course. He had the ability. He created all the animals together, male and female. But here, he did not create Adam and Eve at the same time. He created Adam first, the man first. So, let's look at verse 24. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In verse 24, we see another important point. Here we see one flesh. Again, before God, married man and woman are one. One is not superior to the other. So the important reason why man, a wife, wife submits the husband is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So God created Adam first and the woman second. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we look at verse 3 and it says here I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God the wife submits to the husband because it is of divine order. God loves order. In the marriage, if one party does not submit to the other, there will be chaos. There will be conflict. There will be confusion. God decreed that the woman should submit to her husband, not the other way around. God created man first, then woman. Jesus and God the Father are the same in essence, in power, in substance, in everything. But Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and went to the cross for sinful man. The submission of Christ, did it make him less God? No, it didn't. The same for a wife submitting to her husband. It does not make her less than her husband. It pleases God and gives God pleasure when a wife submits to her husband because she's being obedient to his commandment. He's obedient to the order that God wants to portray. The question, women or wives, you need to realize is where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Ultimately, your confidence should be in God. For, for hard decisions, you know, when, when a, a married couple has hard decisions to deal with, your role is to provide your husband with your perspective, with your counsel, and your questions, and your concerns. Your motive should not be to get things your way. But, by God's grace, your perspective will help your husband to make the best decision for you as a family unit. The new Bibles are, are, are really attacking this particular topic of submission. The Message Bible says, of verse 22, it says, Wives, understand and support your husband. In the, in the way that shows your support for Christ. <laughs> Understand and support your husband doesn't sound anything like submission at all. And that's the difference. It's got to really be very important. You've got to submit your husband in everything. Now the third, the third way to build your house is to respect your husband. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse uh, 33. 
says, verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. The word reverence here means to respect, to honor, to be in awe of your husband. There's no exceptions here. You can't say, when he does this, then I'll respect him. Or, if he changes the way he does that, then I'll respect him. Why does he always do that? Or, he is so that. It does not matter how he is or what he's like. Are you in awe of your husband? Do you honor him? Do you respect him? When you look at your husband, do you see him as wow? Here are some questions which you can ponder on to see how you respect your husband. One, I think I've got three. Are you more aware of your husband's faults than of his strengths? Number two, are you more prone to criticize him, either verbally or in your heart, or do you praise him more? Do you not respect him because of some sin in his life? Your respect for your husband, or lack of it, of respect, says a lot about your view of God. Your respect of your husband, husband affirms the role that God gave him. So I've got some suggestions how you can respect your husband. There's three, three thoughts. The first one is respectful thoughts. When you see your husband or when you think about your husband, then think about his strengths. Maybe he's a loving husband. Maybe he's a caring father. Maybe he's a good provider. Think about those good thoughts of what your husband does. Think about his positive attributes. You know, maybe he makes you happy. Maybe he makes you laugh. Maybe, you know, something like that. <coughs> so the first way you need to, to learn to respect your husband is to res- have respectful thoughts. The second one is respectful words. How do you speak to your husband? Do you have an angry tone when you speak to him? <laughs> I heard some noise down there. Or do you say... Do you say or point out things that he does wrong all the time? Or do you commend your husband on things that he does right? Do you encourage your husband or where, where, you, where you can? Or do you encourage him when you can or when the time is? Or do you tear him down? Respectful words are very, very important. You know, ask yourself, how do I speak to my husband in private? You know, or how do I speak to him in public? Or when someone asks me about my husband, what do I say about him to others? Now, a quote from uh, Betsy Rukuchi from the book Love That Last, it says, she says this, withholding respect or encouragement from my husband has never produced good fruit. My silence or my repeated criticisms have never inspired Gary or our children. No member of my family has ever risen to greater godliness because of lack of encouragement. Listen carefully to what you're saying. It's really important. The third way is about to generate respect for your husband is respectful deeds or actions. Do you respect your husband through your actions? Do you freely express your affections to him, maybe at appropriate physical contact for the situation? When your husband speaks, do you actually listen to what he says or is something else more pressing or more important? We know we have a lot of issues with social media these days, you know, and you might want to talk to your, your husband might be talking to you, oh, I need to do a quick face, face, face time or whatever they are. 
I'm not, I'm not really into those things. Or WhatsApp message or something else is calling you and it's more important. No, what is important? Do your actions communicate lack of respect, indifference? Do you interrupt him when he speaks? Your body language says a lot. It says a lot more than words. Now, if I spoke, you know, there was a camera up there, and if I just kept talking, looking at the camera there, talking to the audience there, and ignored everyone here, what does it say about you guys? You know? You think, why am I here? I might just buy the DVD. So it's really, really important. A good exercise for, for wives to do is to take some time and get a piece of paper and a pen and write down things that you respect, things that you admire, things that you appreciate of your husband. And then once a week or maybe once a month, you go through that list and add to that list. The interesting thing is, when you start seeing good in your husband, the more you see, the more you will see. When you're feeling maybe not loved by your husband, or you're feeling that you don't want to submit to him, or you're losing respect for your husband, take that list out. Go through that list and add at least one item during that time. and It will change your, 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 your way of thinking. That's basically um, a bit of um, guidelines for, for, for women. Now, I don't have much time, but I'm going to go through the, some, some roles for the husband. And as I said, this, this section here you could actually preach many sermons on. But um, I want to give some husbands some outlines as well um, and examples that will, uh, of what is required for a husband. Turn back, are uh, we on Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, uh, 23, and it says here, for the husband's head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the, uh, by the word, that he might present himself uh, to, it to, him, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord the church. Here we are told by the Apostle Paul that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now ladies, if you think your roles, which I went through a little bit earlier, it was hard to do, then the role of the man is much, much harder. To love you as Christ loved the church is it's beyond comprehension. Like last month, I actually preached about love and the definition of what, love, what I had for love. And the definition I came up with last, last, last month was love looks out actively for the best interest of the one being loved. It involves loving care, commitment, and self-sacrifice to the one being loved. It seeks the highest good for the one being loved. So, if you listen to that definition, how do you love like this? The only way that you can actually love like this is to be born again. You need to have the Spirit of Christ residing in your heart. Then and only then can you love like this. The greatest demonstration of love was at Calvary when God gave His Son up for sinful man. John chapter 3 verse 16 for says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, you, can, you become a new creature, and he puts his spirit in you. And then you can truly love, because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I've got six suggestions here for husbands on how to love their wives. The first point I want to make is that 
The love of your wife needs to be your priority. From Christ's example, we see that he did not come to push his authority on mankind at his first coming. He came as a loving husband at his first coming. He went to the cross for us. Likewise, verse 22 tells us, um, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. The husband will not push around his authority when the wife submits to him. He doesn't say, look, I am the boss here. We'll do everything the way I want to do it. He doesn't do that. If we follow Christ's example, he came down to die. He came to sacrifice himself. Now, the important thing to clarify here is that to love your wife is not to buy her the newest car or newest cell phone or newest jewelry or whatever. And it's also important to realize that it doesn't mean spending hours and hours at work to buy so that you can save lots and lots of money to buy her something special. That's not making your wife your priority. So the first thing is, remember, your wife is your priority. The love of your wife. The second one is love is possible for all believers. Now, the typical stereotype of men is macho, you know. I don't love, you know, which is tough. But that's not true. Let's look at Galatians. Just turn back a few pages. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22. Galatians 5, 22 to 26. It says here, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, and let us also walk in the Spirit, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Husbands, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then love is possible. As you follow Christ, you will exhibit the, the fruits of the Spirit. And the first fruit that we see here is love. The closer you follow Christ, the more you can love your wife. The more joy you will have, the more peace you will have, the more goodness you will have. The third point I want to uh, mention for, for husbands is, love starts with the husband. Now, if you look at on, t on the movies and all that, always seems to show that the women are the ones that are the loving ones. But in actual fact, love starts with the husband. The husband is to continually initiate self-sacrifice, irrespective of how the wife may react. You have to self-sacrifice 100%, even if she's being difficult or being disagreeable. And ask yourself the question, what if you're angry? She's angry all the time. Let's turn to 1 Peter. <laughs> 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Do not fight back with anger. That's what scripture says here. And this will only escalate the situation. Rather, give her a blessing. Give comforting words, not angry words. Loving words, not angry words. The husband is to initiate love out of, a, 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 out of an unlovable situation. Trust and pray to God to give you the grace on how to respond. Respond kindly, not harshly. Man, um, the husband's role is to do that. 
the first, fourth, fourth point I want to mention is love is unconditional. Marriage is lifelong. And as a result, you'll come across many trials and tests. And I'm sure many people here have been married for a long time. How can attest to the trials and the tests that you go through? A husband may say, I'll love my wife when she stops being angry and submits to me. Well, sorry, husbands. A husband saying that is only loving his wife conditionally. Maybe the wife is angry, and maybe she is angry very often. How should he deal with the situation with unconditional love? Turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 24. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are, take, who are taken captive by him at his will. He needs to be patient. He needs to lovingly help her to acknowledge her anger. And to help her to overcome her anger. That is unconditional love. The fifth point I want to make is love is sharing one life, not two. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. A husband, and a, a husband and a wife is one body. We just go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. It says here, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet, uh, ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Husbands are to love their wives as their own body. Now, Mr. Parker in the back there, when you had, before your operation, you had problems with your hip, did you just say, she'll be right, mate, we'll leave it alone? Now, you didn't do that, did you? You went to the doctor, right? And got a new hip, right? The same thing. If you broke your arm or broke your leg right now, you're not going to say, she'll be right, mate, just a little bit of, uh, you know, whatever, Betadine will be, and she'll be fine. You'd go to the doctor, wouldn't you? You're going to say, doctor, my leg's broken. And you get it fixed up. The same is true of your wife. If your wife is hurting then you are hurting. As she and you are one in body. If you attack your wife, you're attacking yourself. If you ignore her by working long hours at work, then you're ignoring yourself. Because you and, her, you and her are one. Husbands, you need to look at your wife as yourself. And to take care of her as you would take care of yourself. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the last point I wanted to make is the definition I have for love. Love looks out actively for the best interest of the one being loved. It involves loving care, commitment, and self-sacrifice to the one being loved. It seeks the highest good for the one being loved. <clears throat> this ba this, this uh, definition of love is, is basic, basically a summary of the role of the husband. We are in vision, so if we look at verse 25, it says here, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ gave himself for the church. 
which is self-sacrifice. Verse 29, we read, it says here, For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Husbands are to nourish and cherish. That is to feed and to care for his wife. That shows caring. Verse 26 to 27 says, That he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that, they, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The husband is to do all he can for the highest good of his wife. Stephen Cole gave an excellent example of this love. He says, A husband might say, I'd die for my wife if ever it came down to it. I'd fight to the death and protect her. And he says, This is tremendous, and I hope you would. But the real question is this Are you crucifying self on a daily basis on behalf of your wife? Is your focus on using her to meet your needs or on setting aside your selfish desires? in order to meet her needs? That's the real question. If you're dying to self every day and seeking the highest good for your wife, then you love her. And in turn, you love yourself. For you and her are one. The way you can achieve this Goal of loving your wife. There's two ways. Oh, there's two points. The first thing to really, really do is to immerse yourself daily in the Word of God. You need to see what Christ did for you. You need to see the love that Christ had for you on the cross. When you really see that, then you realize what you need to do for your wife. Only when you do that, when you can see Christ on the cross, what he sacrificed for you, what he sacrificed for me, for all mankind. When you see that sacrifice and that love that he showed, what God had for us, then you can learn to love your wife properly. Another suggestion is to take time often during the week and think about how you can show your love to your wife. When her husband gets lazy in this part and in this point over the years, the marriage goes through many stresses and hardships in relationships. I, 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 in my previous job, I, my, my colleague said that he, he had to go to um, the Philippines quite often. And you'll see many older gentlemen there with 20, 20 year old girls as their new wives. What happened? They left their wives and chased after some eels. They, let, they lost sight. They lost sight of their love for their wife and how to, on a daily basis, to express their love for them. Now, this, this sermon was predominantly for, for a married couple. But now, what about if you're an unbeliever or not married? Uh, sorry, if you're a believer and you're not married, remember that you are actually a member of the church. And the church is a bride of Christ. You need to learn to love your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to submit to his will. And you need to respect him and have him in awe on a daily basis. What is harder, to follow Christ and do things that he asked you to do? or for Christ to go to the cross. The picture of marriage with a husband leading the wife uh, and a, a wife submitting is a per perfect picture of Christ and the husband leading the church and the bride, the believers, submitting to his authority. I pray that husbands and wives and every believer reflect on these points and see how obedient they have been to their Lord. 
If you need to repent, repent. Repentance. And ask God to give you the grace to fulfill His role He has given to you. To glorify His name. And if there be anyone here that is not saved, or maybe listening to this message, then for you to truly know love, you need to know God. Because love is God. 1 John 4, 8 says that. Stop chasing the emptiness and the pleasures of this world and ask someone to show you the Lord Jesus Christ, the true lover of your soul.